Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, it's my mom. Mama. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air on the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter the Apostle. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you on this Thursday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Today is the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter the Apostle in which we commemorate the office of the Supreme Universal Pastor conferred by our Lord Jesus Christ upon St. Peter and continued in an unbroken succession to the present day. Father Dominic Bauck, the chaplain with the University of Mary, will join us in a few minutes with much more on the meaning of today's feast, the chair of St. Peter. Now, if you haven't signed up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, uh, these free daily videos, it's still not too late. You can still do it this morning at relevantradio.com slash Lent. So uh, get ready to learn the Mass, live the Mass, and love the Mass more than ever before. Want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. Hey, Glenn, uh, what are a few of the stories making headlines on this Thursday morning? Hey, is your cell phone working this morning? Uh, phone users across the U.S. reporting some problems with AT&T, downdetector.com. So there's a spike in uh, cell service outages uh, early this morning here. About 33,000 customers saying they've got no service. Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, Honolulu, some of the trouble spots. There are no word yet on things from AT&T. Well, Glenn, uh, as far as I could tell, mine was working in terms of data. I had not made any calls uh, this early in the morning. Uh, but, uh, yeah, tons of reports of uh, people not being able to, to use their cell phones in many parts of the country. And it's just a, a little reminder of how dependent we are on cell phones. Yeah, yeah, we certainly are. Certainly are. That's for, for AT&T customers. Uh, but, you know, uh, if you run into people in real life, sometimes you can get a, a lot of business done just uh, on a nice walk around the neighborhood. The other night, we figured out when the date for the neighborhood 4th of July gathering would go, uh, when the local baseball team would have some home games, and whether or not uh, some folks should take over a little spot in the park and start growing some corn. That was all figured out without a cell phone actually, <laughs> in, re in real life. Yeah, you know, and the, the one thing that, that is really concerning is uh, the alarm clock. You know, a lot of folks use their their uh, mobile phone as a uh, as an alarm clock. So uh, if the alarm clock doesn't work, that's uh, big trouble for us morning uh, show people. Well, unless you stick to the old clock radio like God intended, John. Yeah. Well, Glenn, I know you have roosters. Don't you have chickens and roosters? They wake you up. So you're going to be set no matter what. Nice neighborhood. Oh, my goodness. That, that yeah. It might be the downside of the nice neighborhood. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually have both. I, I, the, I have got, an old-fashioned... Roosters, uh, roosters and a cell phone. <laughs> no rooster, but have an old-fashioned alarm clock, uh, one of those old uh, Sony alarm clocks uh, with, with the radio built in, and the uh, the uh, iPhone as a backup. So, uh, so far, so good. It's uh, never let me down. All right. Uh, hey, Glenn, uh, one other story that uh, we're keeping an eye on is uh, President Biden and the White House is considering some executive action to uh, restrict uh, migrants' ability to uh, seek asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, wh what is the latest? Well, it uh, looks like the president trying to use some of his presidential power to uh, restrict uh, the migrants' ability to seek asylum. 
Yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting uh, because uh, the president uh, just uh, about two three weeks ago said that he didn't have that power. So um, he has uh, more power than than a lot of folks realize, and and so yeah, he could uh, do an executive uh, order and uh, and really make make a difference because we're, we're talking about uh, you know, over seven million migrants. Seven point three million migrants have uh, illegally crossed the southwest border under President Biden's watch. Uh, that's a number that is uh, greater than the population of 36 individual states, uh, according uh, to a recent uh, Fox News uh, analysis uh, study that was done. And so, uh, and those numbers are coming uh, from the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a, an issue, uh, and uh, it's it's something that uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see if uh, if if, uh, if the White House uh, does. Uh, decide to, to pull the trigger on an executive uh, order. Yeah, that's uh, something we'll keep keep an eye on. And, and uh, the Democrats are, are feeling feeling the pinch on immigration a little bit, uh, turning out to be one of the uh, hot-button issues, for sure, in the election season uh, from both sides of the aisle. Yeah, something that's obviously, if, like, it's affecting, you know, people uh, in uh, red and blue states, red and blue cities all over the, the country. Uh, the other story that we're keeping an eye on is uh, the Alabama Supreme Court uh, ruling on uh, frozen embryos. Uh, what's the latest with that? Well, Alabama declaring, you know, not that God hasn't already declared, but uh, Alabama recognizing the uh, preborn, those little tiny preborn folks as actual people deserving of rights. The effect of that has uh, been putting some IVF facilities in Alabama now on hold. And of course, uh, the White House's uh, biggest uh, uh, abortion cheerleader, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, coming out, speaking out against that as well. And uh, apparently um, the uh, the largest hospital in Alabama, University of Alabama Hospital, is, is actually, uh, uh, you know, pausing uh, the use of uh, IVF services uh, for the time being. This, this is a, a topic that obviously we could go way, way much deeper and, and get into the whole Catholic teaching on, on this issue. And that's something that we're definitely going to have to follow up on uh, uh, in the upcoming days. Yeah, yeah, we will. And uh, it's Thursday. That means that it's time for yet another edition of What's That Sound? Well, good morning to one and all, and welcome to What's That Sound? Here on another Thursday on Morning Air. We've got brand new sounds for everyone to play along at home and here in the studio. John, you're up first. I'm ready. Okay, let's see if you can guess what this sound is. Mm, that sounds like a lot of different things. Uh, so that sounds like a, uh, a, a a pencil sharpener. It does sound like a pencil sounds sharpener. Exactly I agree like with you. That's not what it is, but it does sound like that. <laughs> Glenn, any ideas? Is that a sound that might get your cat running to the kitchen? Uh... If you mean that it's a can opener because yes, you're being extremely yes, vague, yes. then I will yes. say yes, that's what it was because uh, it's actual um, f- canned food month. I'm not, you know, it's the middle of winter and, and, you know, at one point in our history, that was the only kind of food we could eat, things that were in the can because um, no fresh vegetables are being grown in uh, these winter climate areas in the middle of winter. So they wanted to celebrate that and it's in February. So I... Had to dig deep for that electric uh, can opener and, and record a little something for you guys today. I appeal to a higher authority. Uh, get, get out of here. Get out of here. There's no higher authority here, okay? 
Your record is tarnished. You didn't know the can opener, okay? But I agree. It does sound like a pencil sharpener. Sure very similar. Does. Very similar sound. I'm sure people at home okay. are saying, you know what? I'm with John on this. And you know what? You're wrong. It's, Glenn it's bailed right. me out. You're not right. Okay. Uh, Glenn, it is your turn. Let's see if you can figure out this sound. <laughs> That's chopping down a tree recorded at a bit of a distance. Yes. Oh, hopefully, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> that tree falling on you. This is because today is George Washington's birthday and the very oh, nice. famous yes, uh, cutting down the cherry down. tree, yeah. which um, we have, you know, I hate to, hate to break everyone's crushed dreams, but apparently that was just a fabricated story. It's not really real, which is kind of ironic because he could not tell a lie, except that he wasn't the one that told the story. It was <laughs> So I guess he gets off the hook um, for uh, this legend that just grew without his permission. Today's the actual birthday. His we actual celebrated birthday. President's Day yeah, the we, other day. Sometimes you get around these things around, but today's his actual, actual birthday. If he was still alive for, I don't know how he could have possibly still be alive. He'd almost be 300 to 92 years old. Wow. Hard to find those cards in the store. Yeah. Yes. You know, you might have to, you know, make your own. I think that it might be acceptable to make your own for George Washington today. But yes, happy birthday to George Washington. And despite not cutting down the cherry tree, um, he was very honest. So we'll still go with that. Still and good to learn that. We lesson. carry a, a penny in our pocket today. Well, if you carry a penny, I think that's um, not George Washington, but Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln, But carry a quarter or a dollar, and I think you'll be set. There you go. And and if you happen to be in uh, South Dakota, walk by that big mountain, will you? And uh, salute. (laughs) Salute, Mr. Washington. Have been there. That's uh, off the the bucket list. That is a very good place to go. Okay, last one. Let's see if you guys have, uh, this is usually we do an audio clip from a TV show or a movie or something like that. Let's see if you guys are familiar with this line. Who loves you, baby? Ah, Telly Savalas. There you go. Kojak, you guys have got it. Sweet. Well, you did pretty good. We got three for three today, and we're rounding up with that three for three, but that's okay. Next hour, three new clues. So hang in there, guys. Who loves you, baby? I love it. (laughs) Ask the Tootsie Roll. Yeah. All right. As always, thanks so much, uh, Sarah and Glenn. First things first, we always start every hour in prayer, every program in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all of the many blessings. Uh, We always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine. Peace in our nation, peace in our church, and peace in our families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. On Thursdays, I always take a brief moment uh, to remember the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday by our Lord Jesus Christ. During this Eucharistic revival that our bishops have called for, let's uh, try to visit the Blessed Sacrament sometime today if you get a chance, at very least, do a spiritual uh, communion uh, with our Lord. Our power scripture uh, from uh, the Playbook of Life is from Matthew 16, 18 through 19. Our Lord Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. On this feast of the chair of St. Peter the Apostle, we honor the cathedra, which means the chair or the seat of Peter, that symbol of his authority. We're celebrating 2,000 years of successors to the Apostle St. Peter, the sign of Christian unity. Peter is the rock on which Christ established his church, and only Peter received the authority of Christ as his prime minister of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that Peter and his successors are called by the Holy Spirit to lead the universal church. The Catholic Church belongs to Christ. It's his church, so we should pray for the vicar of Christ, Pope Francis, the successor of St. Peter. And we always pray with great confidence from the chapel of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. We need to take a, a short pause when we come back. Father Dominic Bauck, uh, the chaplain at the University of Mary, will be with us to further continue discussing the, the meaning of uh, today's feast uh, of uh, the chair of St. Peter the Apostle. So stay with us. There is much more to come as uh, this Thursday edition of Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverett. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in across much of our nation here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. As always, you can send us an email directly if you have any thoughts or story ideas. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. Our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Now, today, February 22nd, the Catholic Church is celebrating the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter the Apostle. It's celebrating the papacy and St. Peter the Rock as the first bishop of Rome. What is the meaning of uh, this feast day, uh, the meaning of this chair, and what is the biblical basis for the papal authority of St. Peter and his successors? Joining us live is Father Dominic Bauck, uh, the a priest of the Diocese of Bismarck. He's a chaplain, a director of University. University Ministry and Assistant Professor of Catholic Studies at the University of Mary. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. Good morning, Father Dominic. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it is a blessing uh, to be with you for the first time on this special feast day. Yeah, good morning. Happy feast. Uh, Father, can you explain for us uh, what uh, is uh, the chair of Peter? Yeah, it's a great feast day because it celebrates an inanimate object. Usually you're celebrating a person, but in this case, it's a it's a piece of furniture. But uh, if you go to St. Peter's in Rome, you would expect to see maybe a picture of St. Peter uh, at the end of the church, kind of the focal point. But instead, you get this giant bronze chair that uh, Bernini built, which inside of it, they have a historical chair that traditionally is thought to have been actually used by St. Peter himself, but the the image is pretty striking. It's a chair um, being held up by the power of the Holy Spirit that's coming in through that front of a, that alabaster window, uh, and it's there's no one in particular sitting on it. Um, and you know, traditionally, 
being seated was the sign of authority, like a throne. And it was this uh, notion that the authority that God gave to the apostle Peter is passed down to whoever sits in that chair. It's that charism of leading the church that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this charism is given to men just like Peter, who are ordinary men, uh, who have the responsibility of leading the church on earth that's given to them in a particular way uh, by the Holy Spirit. And anybody who's had uh, the joy of visiting St. Peter's uh, Basilica can see the chair at the at the very uh, end uh, of the back of, of St. Peter's uh, underneath uh, the beautiful image of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it is a, a magnificent uh, reminder of, of the uh, authority of the of Peter and his successors. Yeah, Matthew 16 is one of these great verses, especially as Catholics, we should know, I mean, all Christians should know it, but but when Peter tells Jesus that he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says, you know, blessed are you, Peter, for it's my Father who revealed it to you, and, and he gives him the keys of the kingdom of, on, uh, of uh, heaven on earth, and he says, you know, whatever bind, whatever sins you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he says that he's the rock on which the whole church is built. And then you, you, you chart the course of, I think Peter's one of the great figures of the New Testament, you know, where he's he's got these ups and downs, he's just an ordinary guy. But there's this huge transformation that happens to him, not at that moment, you know, because immediately after he tells Jesus not to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die, and then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So it's not immediately that it's, like, revealed how this is going to go. But the difference between Peter, who denies him so cowardly, uh, has that experience with him on the shore where Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times to heal his three denials. And then uh, in the upper room, uh the Holy Spirit descends upon him and transforms him into someone completely new. Or just moments later, he's on the the balcony in Jerusalem preaching the the full gospel, the full gospel message, the kerygma. And then the people say, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And it says thousands of people were baptized that day. And then uh, the the whole story of the Acts of the Apostles, especially the first chapters he's clearly the leader of the church in rome or the church in jerusalem like and and the church that eventually expands to the whole world like it's very clear from reading that that he's in charge and it's not because of his sort of inborn natural gifts it's because of the gifts of the holy spirit that descended upon him at pentecost which is a very radical departure from the guy who on the boat said to jesus depart from me lord for i'm a sinful man it's this whole like this great story arc in the Gospels, and it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can really see ourselves in that uh, in terms of Peter's own Christian conversion, uh, but then in terms of the particular charism that he's given to to be in charge of the church on earth, how that's what the Holy Spirit can do uh, to an ordinary man, which is, it's a little different. You know, you get John the Beloved. It's, it's not that Peter's the, the one that Jesus loves the most, <laughs> you know, necessarily, at least in terms of like that sort of way in which we see it. You have the the Virgin Mother of God, you have St. John, who is faithful all the way through the cross, you know, but Peter's got this particular ministry of leading the church, uh, and that's obviously carried on in those successors to this day. 
And uh, we, we are honoring the authority that was given by our Lord Jesus Christ uh, to St. Peter. And, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, beautiful scripture from Matthew uh, 16. It is Peter who is being named the rock on which Jesus builds his church. It's, it's Christ's church, but, but he's calling Peter the rock and he's giving him the keys of the kingdom. Can you talk a little bit further, breaking down just that scripture alone where it is chalk-filled with symbolism uh, and that authority that we're honoring today. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to add this insight. Uh, the Sometimes rock is sturdy, and we, you know, can kind of build a church on that, and that's, like, the obvious metaphor there. But sometimes, like, rock comes from volcanic activity. You know, like, the, the state of Hawaii was made from a lot of earthquakes and volcanoes, but it's still that solid rock. And, and I think sometimes today people can experience maybe some more of that volcanic activity in that uncertainty, but in God's providence that that's how he makes rocks sometimes. Um, and we feel the church shaking, you know, uh, I think it was innocent the third who had the, the dream that the church was falling down. And, uh, the, the Franciscans and Dominicans have different versions of this <laughs> in the, in, in East story, St. Francis and or St. Dominic are the ones who kind of appear in his dream to hold up that shaking church. And, uh, you know, that's a successor of St. Peter to say, sometimes that, that church foundation seems a little shaky, but it's just in God's providence how he's working things out. Uh, and I think it's really important, you know, working with people <clears throat> who can sometimes think that shaking is, is uh, the, the, like an existential threat to the church. It, the, the, that's not possible. You know, Jesus says the gates of hell shall, shall not prevail against it. There's a priest by John Ricardo in Michigan who, <laughs> I've been hearing this. this. I know him well from my before. Michigan yeah. days, Father. <laughs> yeah, he, he gave, I've heard him give a few presentations, and he talks about how the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Uh, and he's like, since when do gates like go on the offensive? And I was like, I never thought of that. The church is the one moving, like, in, in liberating the souls from damnation and it, it's the gates of hell that won't withstand the onslaught of the church. Sometimes we get this sort of fragile image of the church that even on its rocky foundation, it feels shaky. This is the church is the, you know, the, the old phrase church militant, you know, it's this, this power of the Holy spirit in, in frail human flesh that's charging through the powers of evil of this world. And we need to have confidence in that. I think sometimes people get so fragile and think, Oh, the church is falling apart. It's like, on one hand, the church has always been falling apart. If you read the letters of St. Paul or the Acts of the Apostles, there's always a certain fragility and instability in it, whether it's power uh, that are powers that are persecuting it from without or internal division and, and fighting, you know, that first council of Jerusalem that Peter and Paul were at. Like, there was a lot of shaking going on. But we have to have confidence in that church. We say in the Creed, I believe in the church, not just that it exists, but I believe in it, I trust it, and that uh, there's there's real power in it, not this existential threat that the church is falling apart and might be gone someday. Jesus says, you know, that, that nothing will nothing will destroy that church, and it's going to be here until he gets back. You know, Father Dominic, I, I have in front of me the the list of all the popes, and it's quite impressive when you go all the yeah. way back <laughs> to St. Peter, all through the centuries uh, to this present day, uh, to uh, Pope Francis. Uh, 
number 266 uh, with uh, Pope Benedict, uh, of course, before him and uh, uh, John Paul the Great uh, before him. And the one thing that when I when I think of this succession, uh, the one thing in recent years is the love that young people uh, have for the Holy Father, for the successor of St. Peter. It doesn't matter whether it's JP two or uh, Pope mm-hmm. Benedict or even today, uh, Pope Francis, the young people, you know, just come to see him. Uh, you know, they, they love him. They, especially if you see it at World Youth Day. Uh, I know you work with uh, young folks there at the University of Mary. Uh, your perspective on just uh, the love and the admiration uh, that the youth have uh, for the successor of St. Peter. Yeah, when I was 12, I went on a parish pilgrimage to Rome, so I got to see St. John Paul the Great, which is cool to say, like, I saw a saint with my own eyes. I know a lot of people have stories about him, but, you know, it was really moving to see that. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, what young people are really starved for today is meaning in their lives. A lot of times they come from a certain level of material affluence or, or, uh, you know, comfortability. And and so that kind of answers that part of their life. But then it's like, what more is there? Uh, and the Pope, it, you know, I think JP2 is so good at, like, what George Bush the senior called, like, the soft bigotry of low expectations. I think that's pretty, like, endemic to our society today, where he wasn't afraid to call young people on to hire and say, I expect a lot of you because God expects a lot of you. But he did it in this joyful, winsome, sort of full-of-life way that didn't say Christianity is a, a sort of removal of things from your life it's it's an unlocking for the true freedom that you have when you find the truth and that truth is a person who loves you so what, what kids want is this relationality and the, the pope is a person you know just like god's a person three persons father son holy spirit the, the pope is this person the vicar of christ uh and, and uh what, what kids want is like meaning but also relationship and they they want that meaning to come by means of like a person who knows them and loves them and they want to be known. They want to be chosen. They want to be loved. They want to be seen. And there's that notion that like, here's a guy on earth who actually knows me. You know, you know it's, it's, you see world youth day or whatever. And it's like, obviously there's a ton of faces there, but just when I, we take students from the high school and from the college to Rome every year. And like, just the fact that when the Pope drives by, he makes eye contact with them. It means the world to them. And they don't know maybe even any details of his life. Uh, and he probably doesn't know any details of their life, but it, it's that knowledge of like, I'm, I'm a person who's made to be in a relationship with God both now and forever. And here's the guy who's like job it is to make that happen and also be that for me in a, in a sort of mediated way. Uh, and he cares about me and he's praying for me and, uh, he's leading that church on earth. That's the church militant. He's the, the supreme commander there and he he's the supreme commander of, of loving me. And so in a world that's like where they feel so lonely and unseen and where social media is just kind of a, a stand in for that, they actually know that, Hey, some guy is on my side and he he's fighting on the world stage for me and against the powers of Satan and the evil one. It's pretty remarkable. Like even my love for the Pope has increased seeing young people see him in like a Wednesday audience or whatever. It's like, wow, this means a lot to them. Just that white cassock and the Zucchetto, you know, it's like really speaks to their heart. I, I totally uh, agree, uh, Father Dominic. I, I had the joy of meeting um, 
uh, Pope St. John Paul II in person and kneeling in front of him for just, a, you know, less than 60 seconds. But it's a moment in time I will never forget. And then a few years mm-hmm. later at World Youth Day in Germany, in Cologne, uh, to be right next to the Holy Father going down the Rhine River with hundreds of thousands of young people going berserk uh, in admiration <laughs> of him. I mean, it's just incredible memories. And I, I just always remember the youth, the, that love that they have for the successor of St. Peter. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I, and I think, you know, I hope listeners really see that and, and just renew their confidence and hope in God through his church and, and not be so distracted by some of the, you know, that list of popes. If you really read that list of popes and see exactly the circumstances that they ruled and even the way that they ruled, it puts a lot of our current history in context and says, yeah, there's things that are confusing today or difficult today, but somehow we get 266. We'll probably have 266 more whenever Jesus comes back and the history is a little uncertain, you know, as, it, as we're experiencing it in the present moment, but God's got us. We're in, we're in control or he's in control and we're uh, beneficiaries of that. And young people have kind of a simple way of witnessing that hope to the world. Well, Father Dominic, it's been a joy uh, to talk about the papacy and the, the chair of St. Peter with you this morning. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks. God bless you. Many blessings to you. Father Dominic Bauck, the chaplain and director of university ministry and assistant professor of Catholic studies at the University of Mary. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit cometomary.life. We need to take a short break. When we come back, a Catholic speaker and host of the Girlfriends podcast, Danielle Beam, will be with us to talk about how to balance faith, work, and motherhood. So stay with us, especially all you moms. We're just warming up here uh, as Morning Air continues on this Thursday on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. You're unbelievable. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This is the stuff that drives me crazy. This Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app, the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter the Apostle. You can always send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. And our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Now, for many working moms or stay-at-home moms, uh, it's uh, quite challenging to find a balance uh, between their faith, their work, and motherhood. How do moms manage all aspects of their lives so that one aspect doesn't affect the other ones? This is something that not only applies to mothers, but also to fathers as well. They can, I'm sure, identify uh, with this issue. Joining us live from New Hampshire is Morning Air contributor Danielle Bean to uh, further talk about uh, how to balance faith, work, and motherhood. Danielle is the creator and host of the Girlfriends podcast and co-host of The Gist on Catholic TV. Uh, She's also the author of several books. Uh, She's a retreat leader, a popular speaker on a variety of subjects related to Catholic family life. Danielle has been married to her husband, Dan, for nearly 30 years, and together they have eight children. Good morning, Danielle. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you once again. 
You too. You too. Thanks for having me. Well, Danielle, you are a mom of eight. So uh, in many ways, you are an expert uh, on this issue. <laughs> How have you managed to have that, uh, that balance uh, yourself, uh, especially when the, when the children were little? Yeah, you know, I think if I have any expertise on this topic, it's only from messing it up so many times. You know, we learn by trial and error. We learn by making mistakes. Nobody does this perfectly. Perfect balance is a myth. And it's something that I think every woman needs to realize, especially when it comes to this idea of balance between work and family and social obligations and all the different things we've got going on in our lives. That's going to look different for everybody. And it's going to look different at different ages and stages of your life. And some times of your life, some stages of your life are going to be extraordinarily difficult and stressful and hard to manage. Others are going to be feeling more balanced, more peaceful. That's just life. And I think we need to communicate that message to each other more often rather than kind of chasing this idea of perfection and perfect balance that we could have in our home and our family lives and our work and our faith lives and our commitments to the outside community. There are so many things so many of us are doing that are important, and yet it is a complicated and complex thing. Danielle, where do you think this myth comes from, these high expectations of being able to perfectly balance everything? You know, I mean, look at our culture. Look at the message that women receive in our culture. You can have it all. You can do it all, right? Well, you know, thanks be to God for the beautiful things, the important work that women do in our work and in our community and our homes and in our families and our marriages. But nobody can have it all at once anyway. And I think that's kind of the the second part of the message that the world fails to tell us is you do need to pick and choose. You've got to set priorities. And it's not going to look perfect any day of the week. And certainly you're going to have sometimes that are tougher than others. But the idea that you can have it all has kind of sold women this idea that you're going to feel perfectly balanced and peaceful at all moments of your life, as long as you just get it right. And so many of us wind up feeling distracted, depleted, exhausted, disillusioned, and like we can't do anything right because we're trying to do too many things. Do you think that uh, when children are uh, really little, that perhaps is the most challenging time to try to even find some kind of balance uh, for moms? Absolutely. I mean, you know, of course, when our children are very small, what they need is a dedicated caregiver. They need that security in their life. And more often than not, it's the mom who's going to play that role in our children's lives. And I believe that's because God who ordained it. You know, we're the ones who, who give birth to them. We're the ones who feed them with our bodies, love them, nurture them, care for them. That doesn't mean other circumstances can't work out and can't be very good for children. But they do need that consistent caregiver. And the women, by and large, are the ones who end up playing that role. So it's women who have to decide, how am I going to do this? Am I going to dedicate myself to this full time? Am I going to work part time? Am I going to work full time and manage this in you know, evenings and weekends or have a flexible schedule? There's so many different ways to answer that question. And I think it's really important that when we're looking at our own circumstances, to really just focus there and bring those circumstances to prayer. Ask God how he's calling you to find balance right now in your life, what work he is calling on you to prioritize in your life, rather than looking around, listening to the messages that the culture is going to give you, or looking at how other people doing it and, are doing it and be distracted by 
everybody else's vocation rather than focusing on your own. Well, I want to open up the, the phone lines and invite uh, our listeners, especially the moms out there, if maybe if you want to share your own struggles to trying to find balance uh, in uh, faith, uh, work, and uh, and being a mother. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, do you agree that nobody can have it all? We're taking your calls for Danielle Bean, the host of the Girlfriends Podcast. Uh, you can chime in at 888 uh, I want to bring in our resident mom, uh, mother of four, uh, producer Sarah. Sarah, I know that this is uh, right up your alley. Oh, yeah. No, Danielle, I think, you know, a lot of things you said were so key there. You know, you know, we think that we can or kind of feel like we were raised or thought as we're getting, you know, growing up that we can do all these things and we can do them all by ourselves. And there's nothing mm-hmm. more crazy or insane to think that you can do everything by yourself. If there's one thing that our faith teaches us, it's that we can't and we're not supposed to. And we're supposed to rely on God, which is extremely terrifying. And these are the the virtues that kind of, as we grow, we start to learn. Okay, we thought we were supposed to learn all these things by ourselves, but we actually need each other. And anyone, any mom who is doing many of these things is not doing it by herself, is doing it because she has a community of people, whether it's her husband, maybe parents, um, family, friends, Mm -hmm. that are all pitching in and helping to carve out, okay, I need some time here. Can you watch? Can we have a play date? Can we, what can we organize? And like you said, it's so different for everyone. I really like what you said about you have to discern with God what is right for you. And it's not even just what is right for you. It's what is right for you right now in this moment of your motherhood, Mm -hmm. because it changes as your kids are different ages. And as you are a different age and how your family life looks, sometimes you just have one or two kids. Sometimes you have, you know, like you got up to eight. Okay. So it changed Mm -hmm. over time with their ages and the demands that your family right now needs and what they will need later. And that to me was something that was like a real slow burn. I finally started to figure it out. Like, you know, there's all these things that you have a desire that you want to do, whether it's helping out at a school or helping out at a church or whatever that might be, helping out at your workplace or whatever. And all of Mm -hmm. those things will have their time. There's a season for that. So try Mm -hmm. not to rush everything, right? That, you know, we don't have to do it right now. We can do it maybe later. And God is going to help guide us into when it's time to do those things our heart has a desire for. Yeah, I love what you're saying, Sarah. That is so important. That is so key because I think sometimes we kind of work ourselves into a little bit of a panic because we feel like these are all important things and you you very legitimately might feel a call to many of these things and it might be work that God does want you to do, but that doesn't mean he wants you to do it all right now, all at the same time. And, you know, I remember vividly years ago when I spoke at a conference, there was a young mom who came up to me afterwards. She was very pregnant. She had a toddler and a small baby in a double stroller, you know, and she was telling me about all these projects she wanted to do. And she was very upset because she said she just wasn't finding the time or the energy to devote to them. And yet she felt God putting this call on her heart to do these things. And I just tried to encourage her to know God may very well be calling you to do those things. I don't doubt your sincerity about feeling that call, but maybe it's not right now. It might not be right now. And, you know, we have a a whole lifetime ahead of us. And of course, we can't take that for granted. But God knows his plan for you. If he's putting things on your heart that he wants you to do, he's going to make the time and the space to do them. 
and it might not be immediately. And I think we have trouble sometimes. And it feels like so difficult to say no to certain things because we feel like maybe we're missing out. Maybe that opportunity won't come back. Maybe we're missing our window, right? And yeah, God doesn't work like that. He's not a God of limited opportunities. He's a God of abundance. And so we need to be trusting in him, trusting in him that he's going to provide for everything that he is, He needs for us to do the thing that he is calling us to do, but also just trusting in him for his plan for our lives one day at a time. Danielle, what, what about priorities? You know, what's really important? Uh, how how uh, uh, important is it to recognize, you know, what is really important? And of course, for us as Catholics and for uh, Catholic moms, uh, teaching and mm-hmm. sharing the faith uh, with our children has got to be a top priority. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's your primary vocation. And so your, your marriage and your family, I think, regardless of what your daily schedule looks like, it, you know, your marriage and your family can can absolutely be your first priority, regardless of what your work status is and what else you've got going on in your life. That's going to look different for everybody. But that absolutely is the thing that you need to not compromise because it, that's, the, that's the sort of thing that you regret later in life. You know, I always tell people when they're kind of discerning between like work opportunities or doing things in their community, even very important volunteer work sometimes that you're irreplaceable to your family. You're the only wife that your husband has. You're the only mom that your kids have. You know, at work, as important as you might be or the, the work that you're doing might be, you're replaceable. You could disappear tomorrow. Sorry, that's tough love, but it's true. You could disappear tomorrow and they would replace you. They would hire somebody else. But that kind of thing doesn't happen in your home and in your family. So placing the proper priority on your role within the family is truly important. Obviously, uh, children need both mother and father. But speaking specifically about moms, uh, how do, how do you uh, you know share that faith uh, with with the children uh, above and beyond just taking them uh, to mass, which is the bare bone minimum on Sundays? Yeah, I think it's important to set a, a, an example. You know, you can say as much as you want. You can have them memorize the catechism. You can you know speak all of the lessons that you want with all the beautiful and important words and teach them all the teachings of the church. But ultimately, they're going to learn by how you live your life. So let them see you pray. Let them see you trust God. Let them see you give thanks to God for every good thing in your life. Let them see you struggle sometimes. Let them see you ask questions and seek out the answers. Don't be afraid of their questions and don't be afraid of your questions either. Turn to the church and Find out what what the church teaches on difficult issues sometimes and why. Look for the wisdom of the saints. We've got such a beautiful tradition and a rich, stored-up source of wisdom through the, the ages of the church fathers and the saints teaching us how to live good and holy lives in a variety of ways, in a variety of circumstances. There's so much that we can learn there. But let your children see you live out an authentic life of faith that is the most valuable and important, quote-unquote, catechism lesson that you might ever give them. I was going to say, I mean, I I feel like sometimes my kids see me fail too much. (laughs) Every day they're seeing that. And yet when I say, okay, you know, I screwed up, I'm sorry, 
you know, and every month or two we say, okay, we're going as a family to confession. That does mm-hmm. teach a lot more than, you know, just trying to pretend like you're perfect and you haven't done anything wrong. To admit that, it's so hard to admit because you're supposed to be mm-hmm. the one that has all the answers as the parent. And clearly, uh, as no manual was provided, you know very little. And like you said, it's all trial and error. So God bless that last kid who gets most of the things that you've learned and they, they're probably going to turn out exactly. maybe the best. But it's it can be challenging to just allow, you know, your family just to admit that, yeah, I'm not doing it right, but that's okay. I see you're not doing it right. I'm not doing it right. We're working on it together. Absolutely. What a beautiful and valuable lesson that is. I like to see those opportunities as humiliating as they are, as teaching moments, opportunities to teach our children what to do when you mess up rather than pretending everything is perfect because Think how discouraging and disillusioning that is for a child if they grow up and they they think their parents have never done anything wrong. Well, you know, they've got free will. They're they're broken and wounded, too, in the broken and fallen world. They're going to wind up sinning as well, and they're not going to know, like, where they, what they can do, where they can turn. There hasn't been an example set for them. So I love the example of, you know, setting for them this example of, you've messed up. Well, we've got a sacrament for that. You know, like the church knows about our frail human weakness. The church knows we're going to mess things up. The church knows we're not perfect. And our Lord is always calling us into healing and relationship with him. What about uh, female friendships? Uh, How important is that to having some kind of balance? And I think having good and holy female friendships, as difficult as that is to find and maybe nurture and cultivate, is so vitally important. You don't need a hundred close friends, but you do need one or two women in your life who can encourage and support you and remind you who you are. Maybe set that example for you of balancing things and not doing it perfectly, but getting up and trying it again. You need to know that you're not alone in it. I think that's so life-giving because sometimes the, the lie that Satan will whisper into our ears when we're struggling is, you're the only one. Everyone else has it all together. And that's so discouraging and disillusioning. So we need to know that we are part of a community. There are others who've gone before us. There are others who are walking beside us. And we're not alone in this difficult thing that we're taking on. Well, Danielle, this is a fascinating uh, topic, especially for moms. I'm sure there's a lot of moms out there that uh, can relate to what we're talking about. Uh, So I I really appreciate you being with us here uh, to uh, chat about it. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Always a blessing. Thanks so much. Uh, Danielle Bean, the host of the Girlfriends podcast and co-host of The Gist on Catholic TV. And now it's time uh, once again for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today called Dead or Alive. Looking back now, I'm confident we made the right decision, even though it was hard to give up the ultimate goal. It was the most anticipated day of the expedition. The sun was beaming now, and the ever-so-perfect weather was only making the summit push more enjoyable. The group was in high spirits as we became closer to our goal. The circumstances were almost too ideal, and I had a premonition that things may change. I was leading the group, and all of a sudden I spotted something in the snow that stood out. Instantly, I knew it was the body of a climber. What I could not determine, though, was whether or not the person was alive. I waved to the group to follow me as we went to evaluate the situation. As it turns out, it was a climber who was alone and needed to be rescued. Immediately, when this situation arose, I thought of the infamous Lincoln Hall case. When he attempted Everest in 2006, he was inflicted with high-altitude sickness and had to stop climbing. Although the Sherpas tried their best to rescue Hall, 
When they ran out of oxygen, they had to retreat down the mountain. This left the other climbers in the group with the thought that he was dead. They made the dreaded phone call to his family and everything. Luckily, Paul was found the next day by another group of climbers. They stopped their pursuit to the summit to help him and make sure he was assisted by a group of Sherpas. This generous action saved the life of Lincoln Hall. It was obvious the climber was close to death and we might not be able to save him. Other members from our group thought we should just continue our push to the summit and help him on the way down. There wasn't time for that. I acted as a true leader and sacrificed the summit, which was in sight, to help get him down the mountain. Although it sounds silly, you must use the life lesson, treat others the way you want to be treated in all aspects of life. If I were stranded in need of rescue, I'd hope others would do the same for me. We got the man down and ended up saving his life. While some were angry at the time, we're all in agreement it was the right decision. The summit will always be there, while the man's life will not. Matthew 7:12. Whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Uh, coming up next hour here on Morning Air, Marcel Lejeune, the president and the founder of Catholic Missionary Disciples, will be with us to continue discussing how to evangelize fallen away Catholics. The last time uh, we were with, with Marcel, uh, the phone lines lit up like crazy. So uh, we'll also uh, be talking to um, journalist Dr. Anatoly Babinski, a research fellow at the Institute of Church History at Ukrainian Catholic University. We'll be uh, discussing the two-year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. So stay with us. There is much more to come in our number two on this Thursday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.